What's going on, everybody? It's your boy Mo back with another episode of Up in Flames. I got a special guest on here today. You know, if you checked out my live show on Saturday, I had my guy Wayne Cole. You know, and we talked about mental health. Today, we're going to get right back into sports, talk some NBA with a guy. You know, I've checked out a lot of his work. I've had him on the show before, but none other than the Max Van Auken from the MVP podcast. But he's a lot more than that. So, Max, how you doing today? I'm doing great, man. I appreciate it. You've been growing your brand tremendously. You've been putting in the work. I had, hey, that was one of the most fun podcasts I've ever done the first time I was on there. So I'm excited to be back. Yeah. Hey, I appreciate you for coming back, bro. So, you know, I'm going to give you the floor. Kind of tell us what you do. Because like I said, you're more than just the MVP podcast. That might be what some people know you as, but it's definitely a lot deeper than that. So the floor is yours to kind of tell us about some of the work you've been putting in and what you do. Right. I appreciate it. Um, I definitely try to go in as many avenues as possible, but I do it strategically. Like you don't want to spread yourself too thin, uh, but like I'll get into MMA and boxing. Like I'll cover that. I've done some commentary for uh, professional and amateur organizations um, for mixed martial arts stuff. Obviously covered the Orlando Magic. You've got the radio that I do daily on 104.7. And then you have the podcast and a lot of the podcasts have been fortunate enough to have some pretty cool guests um today just went to mount bird academy um with rashad phillips got to speak to coach jennings that will be out tomorrow so really just putting in work and kind of such as yourself just trying to see what i can do to continue to grow put myself in the best positions possible and uh continue to bring out and learn yeah 100 percent, bro and you know a lot of times a lot of people don't understand the work we put in we have jobs we have lives outside of this podcast stuff but the one common thing when guys like you and me, you you and uh, myself is that we love sports. And so, you know, um, ever since doing the podcast, I've started to notice like, man, there's a whole nother world out there. Because when I get around common people that I've been around, it's like I love more sports more than anybody else. But then getting around guys like you and being able to see yeah. the work, like the exposure to like guys like Rashad Phillips, who do this pretty much for a living, highly respected in the NBA world, you know. Kind of his work is second to none. He's considered the Yoda. Obviously, you know, the work and the guests that you've had, like people respect your word and things like that. So I basically pretty much look at, you know, that there's more than just me. There was a point in time where I felt like, man, I'm the only one that I be around that kind of loves sports like this, basketball, football. You know, like you said, you get into the MMA and you you kind of get in different avenues of podcasting and cover different sports. So you know, first thing first, you know, before we get into the NBA talk, just, you know, this this episode is sponsored by Manscaped.com. Go to Manscaped.com, use promo code Up at Flames or OTBN to, you know, show your love to me, Up at Flames Sports Podcast or Off the Ball Network to get 20% off plus free shipping. But, you know, I have the, one of the NBA GOATs, one of the guys whose MB, word on NBA I respect a lot more than most people. I have a list, Max, you reached that list. So I want to talk, you know, NBA. And I want to talk about the most recent, I guess, NBA news. Today is Monday. Obviously, we were able to get all the ESPN and Fox Sports 1 talk shows. Brooklyn played the Lakers on Saturday. Obviously, it was a blowout on the Lakers, you know, winning the game. And I feel like, I won't say Brooklyn was, I don't think exposed was the right word. But at the same time, I do. Do you think with Brooklyn losing 
by 20-plus points to the Lakers, do you think there was a flaw in their game and that they were kind of exposed a little bit to the rest of the NBA and that there's like a recipe and how to beat the Brooklyn Nets? I don't – yeah, well, I'm not going to use the word exposed. You know I like analogies. What I would say is if they were if they were like going to work, they weren't late to the job but they had a rough morning. Like the alarm clock didn't go off. They woke up just in time. They just rushed, put the clothes on. They made it to work, but they weren't late. And this is a wake-up mm-hmm. call for them. Like, okay, I need to be better prepared the following night so that morning I don't get in that situation again. Like we've all had one of those mornings where like, man, like, all right, I don't want to be that rushed again. Um, I think they, if they're smart, which they clearly are, they need to look at what happened to the Clippers last, last season. And like, okay, look, mm-hmm. This Brooklyn team, granted, does have a lot more talent than that Clippers team did, but what was everyone talking about? This Clippers team, they're built to beat the Lakers, they're built to win the championship, the talent, two-way players. But if you don't develop that camaraderie, that chemistry, it doesn't matter how much talent you have. If you don't develop that leadership, if you don't develop that chemistry, it doesn't matter. It will crumble under adversity. So I think this, I've always I've compared him to Mike Tyson as far as like that power but I said, I don't know if they have the layers to win the championship. And so I think this didn't expose them, but it woke them up. You're not untouchable. You're not unbeatable. And unless you're Floyd, everybody can get beat. Uh, and right. so I think this kind of woke them up a little bit. I've always, I'm always worried about their defense. And, but most people are like, oh, they'll just outscore you. But I think chemistry and availability are the two things, if you're a Brooklyn fan, you have to be concerned about. And when you don't get all your star players playing, what they've only played like seven, eight games together with their three guys. That would be a concern of mine because you're not going to question their talent. You're not going to question if they can make shots. You're going to question can they work when they need to. And so I'd say this is a wake-up call. It's not necessarily an exposed exposure. Right. I mean, I think, you know, watching the game thoroughly, I think obviously their biggest question, I think there were some questions about the Brooklyn Nets. Obviously, the big three of, you know, James Harden, Kyrie Irving, and Kevin Durant, We've only seen them, what, at a max, I think, seven games yeah. together as a big three. So we look back at what was the biggest, you know, the Miami Heat in year one with the big three of Dwayne Wade, LeBron James, Chris Bosh. You know, outside of, and I look at, you know, chemistry was a problem. It was an issue, and they kind of ran through the rest of the Easter Conference, which was the weaker conference at the time. And mm-hmm. then now, you know, but they got to the Dallas Mavericks who were able to come out of the gauntlet of the Western Conference and chemistry played a factor, and that's why they weren't able to win a championship in year one. But then we look at, you know, um, when KD went to the Warriors, it kind of just took the advantage over the top. And I think that was the same expectation once James Harden was traded to the Nets. And then obviously we've seen the addition of Blake Griffin. We've seen the addition of LaMarcus Aldridge. And we kind of take for advantage, oh, my God, I think we hold a lot of weight. I think a lot of people hold a lot of weight of the advantage of now they got Blake Griffin, now they got LaMarcus Aldridge, but I think two of those guys, they're older in their careers. They're not the same player. I don't think, even though Blake Griffin, I think, ha- still has some good potential, especially when you're talking about being the fourth or fifth best option for the Brooklyn Nets. I don't think he's the L.A. Clippers' Blake Griffin. I don't think it's fair to him to basically expect for him to be, you know, the L.A. Clippers' Blake Griffin. So I think my biggest issue that I've seen with the Brooklyn Nets is that they their lack of a big man. Like you said, it's a wake-up call because they were put on notice by the rest of the NBA world that they're going to have problems in the paint. And we talk about, you know, we kind of want to deadlock them in a healthy Lakers squad to meet each other in the NBA Finals. 
But then you kind of, you know, with saying that, you overlook Giannis in the Milwaukee Bucks, which could be a mismatch problem. Obviously, you know, Giannis is a small forward slash power forward, but at the same time, his mismatch issues that he'll he'll bring up on the Brooklyn Nets. I don't think they have a guy who's physical enough to ultimately guard Giannis. And then we look at the Philadelphia 76ers, and you look at Joel Embiid. I think, obviously, with watching the game and how Andre Drummond dominated, we would look at Joel Embiid and be like, do they have an answer for him? Philly's big. They have Ben Simmons, who will be running the point at six foot nine. They have right. Danny Green. They have Tobias Harris. Like when you look at their size, Seth Curry, sometimes in the starting lineup, sometimes as a six man, you know, he's a candidate of six man of the year in a sense. So with watching that, how worried are you of Brooklyn and their disadvantage of having a big man getting through the Eastern Conference, let alone meeting the Lakers in the Western Comp or in the uh, NBA Finals? Right. I'm cons- I would be concerned. I mean, I think beyond they have DeAndre Jordan. I'm sure he's still healthy, I believe. But um, that's why I always said the Lakers were going to win the championship last year, and I repeated it and said they're going to repeat this year. And everyone's like, oh, you're a Lakers guy, you're a LeBron guy. It's like, no, I'm just calling it how I see it. I think their versatility, mm-hmm. their defense, their layers, they can go big, they can go small, the flexibility on who they're playing, they're able to adapt to who they play. Like some games, JaVale McGee and Dwight played a lot. Other games, they didn't play at all. And now you have Andre Drummond, you have AD, and you have Marcus All, and you have Kuz, who's big, Montrez is big, Braun is big, but then they can go really small, put AD at five, who's not a liability at the five because he can hit free throws, he can move his feet on the perimeter. Brooklyn doesn't have that flexibility, and my grandfather would always say, you find a need and you fill it. Like, their need wasn't more scoring. Like, their need was not another bucket getter. Their need was the big man, was the defense. Aldridge doesn't do that, and Blake Griffin doesn't do that. So it's like, yeah, you have the – the, the, the name, you have to appeal, but that's not the need that you needed, and it didn't get filled. And you referenced the Warriors. Like, when KD went to the Warriors, like, it's no secret, they're already established. And mm-hmm. he went into an offense that's not a ball-dominant offense. It's a motion offense. So it's like, right. hey, you're not a ball-dominant player. We can plug and play you. You, you have an elite, elite jump shot. You can play off the ball, cut your seven feet. But in Brooklyn... For one, a culture hasn't been established yet. And two, we haven't seen them play together. And three, they all – Kevin Durant doesn't need the ball. James Harden needs the ball. And we've seen Kyrie Irving kind of take a back seat and say, okay, you become point guard. I'll play the shooting guard, which is cool. But now I brought this up, and then it was to Pierre, and I was like, we've never seen the best player be like the third option on a mm-hmm. team. And I'm not saying he's a third option because of talent, but because he doesn't need the ball like they need the ball. KD doesn't need that. So now you're asking your best player to not have the ball in his hands as much. So I just think it's the culture hasn't been established, and it's a different type of offense. So just because you take that guy who's James Harden, who's amazing, and you put him in, doesn't mean it's going to be the same equation, the same plug-and-play equation like both state. But when you don't outthink the room, sometimes like, okay, these guys are amazing basketball players. So just all that alone, they can go really far. But that's mm-hmm. why I haven't been so quick like you to be like, oh, okay, they're good. They're going to win it all. Like, I'm not I'm not like that. I, I've seen a lot of people just be like, oh, they're going to win it. Like, this is, I've never seen anything like this. They're unguardable. I just, I'm not sold. I'm not on that yet. I'm not on that yet. Yeah, and that's been my biggest thing is like, I've seen what Brooklyn did, and obviously it's amazing. Like, to, you know... Obviously, have Kyrie and Kevin Durant first off, 
together I felt like was a great duo with the supporting cast of at the time when they, you know, we expected them to come back at the beginning of the season healthy. You had Spencer Dinwiddie, Karis Avert, Jared Allen. Right. You know, so their supporting cast, I felt like that was a really great Brooklyn team. But then obviously they traded pretty much their whole supporting cast outside of Dinwiddie because he had the injury to att- to obtain James Harden. And I'm like, okay, we kind of seen this was a problem with the Warriors when they went down. When Kevin Durant got hurt, he came back. When Klay Thompson got hurt in game six, I think that was the ultimate injury. That was the reason why the Toronto Raptors were able to win the championship was yeah. because they were very top-heavy. They had, obviously, Steph Curry, Klay Thompson, Kevin Durant, and Draymond Green. But then outside of that, there was no depth to make up for the lack of and the possibility of injury. And I felt like the Nets were created that same way up until, you know, they added Blake Griffin. They added LaMarcus Aldridge. They still have DeAndre Jordan, who we kind of forget about. I think another guy who kind of gets forgotten about is Joe Harris, Jeff Green. Like, I look at their makeup of their team now, and I pretty much think they're almost second to none. But I've seen it with, you know, the Boston Celtics. I've seen it with the Miami Heat. Outside of the Golden State Warriors, who tend to become the exception of getting a great, talented team together and winning year one, I look at the Miami Heat, and they weren't able to get the job done year one, even though they dominated through the regular season. It was a lockout season. But then after that, the next two years, Miami Heat, they met their match a little bit with the Indiana Pacers. They just found a team who could match up with them really well. But they still, they kind of ran through the NBA, obviously won two championships back-to-back and even with the, you know, the San Antonio Spurs where they were looking to three-peat, they fell short, but it still was a possibility. You wouldn't have been surprised for the Miami Heat to three-peat. I think Brooklyn Nets are the same. So, Right, and not to interrupt you, but I said this last year when I was like, the Lakers are going to win it. And I was like, I, I was like, perp. I said the last team to not make the playoffs the year prior and win a championship the following year is your 08 Boston Celtics. And I was like, that's the last team to do that. Like, that's a very rare thing to see because typically, to your point, like that first year, you may have what it takes, but you lose in the, in the Western or the Eastern Conference Finals. Okay, year two, we work it out. We know what we got to work on, make some adjustments, maybe get this player a little bit here, tweak something here. Year two, okay, yeah, you guys look mm-hmm. like you're locked in. The Brooklyn Nets, even though they did make the playoffs last year, obviously it's not the team that they have now. Um, I, I just, they haven't worked that out yet. And I'm not trying to be the guy that's like hating on them because I'm not. Like I'm saying, I, I haven't gone to the finals. I just, I don't, I just 100% agree with what you're saying. I, you just, besides the exception of Golden State, which was already there the year prior, you just, it doesn't work like that. Yeah, and 100%. Like you said, you point out, you know, in conversation with a guy like Kendrick Perkins that look, look at your team. People don't do that. People don't not win a championship or, or get. Close to the pinnacle that they're trying to reach and then go win a championship. You know, you kind of see it slowly build. That's why teams who are very bad reset, start a process. The Philadelphia 76ers trust the process. You know, Joel Embiid kind of got his nickname based off of the process. Like, he's the process because you look at Ben Simmons, Joel Embiid. You figure out what can be, what can't be. And obviously, I think coaching change was the biggest thing in Philly. So I guess my thing is, how surprised would you be if Brooklyn didn't make it to the NBA Finals this year? Like, should it be, should Brooklyn Nets fans and, you know, kind of the organization panic? Or should they play their part and ultimately, hey, we didn't make it to the championship this year, but we have a couple more years left. 
we ha- we're in our championship window. So what do you think if they don't get out of the Easter Conference Finals and have a finals appearance, win or lose, do you think Brooklyn should panic and shake it up a little bit or just continue to route their going and trust the process? Um, that's a great question. De- I definitely wouldn't panic. Um, expectations are everything, not only in sports. And the expectations are a championship. So it will feel like a huge loss that you didn't even get to the championship. Don't get it twisted. Mm-hmm. But I think Steve Nash, uh, a Kevin Durant, even though Kevin Durant's been like highly criticized or what's going on with social media or whatnot, he understands like he's a, he's a champion. I mean, you can say whatever you want about him. He's been there. He's done that. I think he would understand. Okay. Like now let's all get healthy. Let's all be available next year. We got it. And with that type of talent, you don't really panic. You just make it work. Mm-hmm. And I think, if that happened, like I said, it would be a disappointment because of what everyone's saying, because what the expectations are. So I'm not saying it wouldn't be, ah, oh, it's okay. Like that certainly would be a bad, that would be a bad look, but I wouldn't panic. I, if I was with the front office of Brooklyn, I would say, okay, guys, like KD, wh- what do you think we need? Like wh- what was missing? Is it availability? Okay. What can we do to work this out with you, Kyrie? Like what would make it more available for you guys? And then like, okay, maybe we got to get that wing defender. Let's get an interior presence. Let's get a Tristan Thompson. Like, what do you need to do to make this work? I, I, I wouldn't panic. Yeah, and speaking of availability, kind of leans into what I want to touch on about Kyrie Irving. Speaking of yeah. Kyrie Irving and availability, obviously, you know, he got kicked out of the game. There were some altercations. Don't really want to get much into that, but mm-hmm. I think that Kyrie Irving has been, you know, the inconsistent piece in this puzzle this year, you know, he took the leave of absence the first time, kind of yep. no explanation, no true reasoning up to this point. We still kind of don't know why he took the, you know, the leave of absence is, and you know, ever since he won the championship in Cleveland, it's kind of been this kind of problem. Like it doesn't seem like he's a hundred percent committed to winning championships and playing great basketball. We know that when Kyrie is on the court, he's a great player. We understand that he's, you know, in my eyes, Kyrie is one of the most talented players I've ever seen play basketball. I don't care what era we talk about. I don't care what player we talk about. But obviously, he'll never reach GOAT status because accolades and true talent and consistency. And I think Kyrie Irving, that becomes the problem. Are you concerned about any of Kyrie's antics? And, like, do you think he should take a step back from some of his antics because sometimes you look at it in Boston, you look at it right now, it seems to become some of a problem. Listen, I know a lot of people like tip. I feel like a lot of people tiptoe around this and I'm just going to call a spade a spade. Like, absolutely. It's a problem. Like if you, I'm like, Oh, well, you're not an NBA player. You don't know what's going on in that locker room. Like, you're right. I don't. So I won't speak on what I don't know, but I would speak from experience. Like, obviously I'm not an NBA player, but Mm -hmm. if you go to work, and like you, you have a job that you need to do, and your coworker, like, just doesn't show up. Like, wouldn't you just be like, "Hey, bro, like, hey, what's going on?" And like, and he like, mm-hmm. he doesn't have an explanation. Like, if it if it kept reoccurring, or if he had a history of doing it, and I'm not saying he doesn't have a just reason for doing it, because like I said, I personally don't know what it is, so I'm not gonna act like, oh, he should have done that. But I'm just saying you can't right. act like that's not a problem, like, or it's not something that's being talked about. And we know Kevin Durant didn't even like being talked about when, oh, are you leaving Golden State? Like, that's all you guys do is just keep asking me the same question. Am I leaving Golden State? So I'm, he has to be a little agitated of, hey, this Kyrie Irving thing, or he's leaving. Are you guys going to be okay? Like, if you look at the history of them as players, the history of the game, when you have something like this that constantly is weighing on a team, it usually becomes a distraction or a problem. Now, they're not going to go out and say, hey, yeah, guys, this is a problem. Like, they, they won't do that. 
unless you have like a Michael Jordan and Phil Jackson who know how to deal with egos and built a culture who we knew how to deal with Dennis Rodman, go ahead, do your thing. It, it, that typically is a problem. So I think this is a, a situation where he, I think my guy Rashad has been saying this for the longest time. He's going to retire early. And I think all power to him. Like none of us are questioning his talent. None of us are questioning what he's capable of doing. But when you're not available, I think that becomes a distraction to your overall goal. Yeah, 100%. And I think, you know, the best ability is availability. You know, we hear, we hear the greatest people of all t- talk about that. And I think, you know, if Kyrie was an injury prone, you know, we look at Derrick Rose. Derrick Rose is an injury prone guy. So we understand his absence from teams. Like, you know, once he got injured, it was just a reoccurring problem and, you know, I hate to say it, but that was kind of the the demise of, of Derrick Rose, and that was kind of the decline of what we've seen from him. But then, like, we look at Kyrie, and there's, like, times where we see him go three, four, five games fully healthy, play great, and then all of a sudden it seems like there becomes an issue, whether it's, you know, mentally, physically, but it seems like, man, I watched that whole game. He never got hurt. He dropped 40. And now all of a sudden he's missing from the next game. And I get the low management. I think the precedent of low management has been like reenacted again with uh, Kawhi Leonard and Paul George. We've seen yeah. it before. And so for people to act like we've never seen this before, we've seen it with the San Antonio Spurs. I forget there there became rules because of what they did. There was yeah. one like primetime game and they sat Tim. Ginobili, Duncan, and Tony Parker. So we've seen, like, and it was a sense of load management. All of them were healthy the game prior. Nobody got injured. So we've seen that, like, load management precedent. But even still, even consistently, you know, before the, you know, after the late 80s and 90s, we've seen guys, you know, after game 72, like, if they have a certain spot in lock or they're not worried about dropping or falling, then they kind of rest some of their players in a game that's meaningless. At the last, you know, seven to ten games of the season – they start becoming kind of meaningless. Some of the teams have first place locked up. Some of the teams have second place locked up. Okay, yeah, get these guys prepared and healthy for the playoffs. But then, like, with Kyrie, we've seen it in Boston. Now we're seeing it in Brooklyn. And then, obviously, when he left Cleveland, we're kind of seeing, like, it was a, a shady exit, I would say, in Cleveland because, you know, there were shots fired once he left and went to Boston. And then, obviously, there were still shots fired when he went to, you know, Brooklyn and was like, man, once he got Kevin Durant, was like, man, this is the best player I've ever played with. I finally got a guy who can match, you know, my closing ability. And we're like, man, you just played with the king. You played with LeBron James. You played with the best player of this era. So I think there's a problem there. So I just, my biggest concern with Brooklyn, obviously, is availability. Because when one guy is healthy, another guy's hurt. Between their big three, you know, we're 40-plus, obviously almost like 50-plus games in, uh, fifty plus games into the season, and we haven't seen their big three play but three times, or I mean seven times since they've linked up, and it was very early in the season. It was after about right. seven or eight games once James Harden got, you know, forced his way out of Houston. So, you know, I just – I don't want to say, you know, overall, I don't want to say Brooklyn has been exposed, but I do think there's a few problems within the Brooklyn organization that need to be addressed – but I think it needs to be addressed within the organization. And I also think that people need to lay off putting the pressure on Brooklyn and saying they're a championship or bust team. Because when you've seen that pressure put against Boston, 
They failed the first year. You see that pressure put against Miami. They failed the first year, but then they came back strong as ever. I think we could see the same thing with Brooklyn, especially when we talk about the Lakers. We're kind of panning on a Lakers-Nets, you know, NBA Finals series, and I think I think the favorite going in there, healthy, obviously if the Lakers get to the finals, LeBron and AD are healthy. Andre Drummond has found his role within, you know, being the third or fourth option alongside LeBron, AD. Then you got Schroeder and Kuzma. I think if we see that finals matchup, I think the Lakers would be the favorite. Obviously, you know, once you win a championship, when you come back the next year, somebody's got to knock you down. You're the champion. So, you know, I just think people need to hold off on the Brooklyn slander or the expectations that it's championship or bust. They built their team, but they have a lot of chemistry issues. And I think like a team like Utah has benefited from the lack of chemistry issues. And I think that's why they're the best team in the NBA. But, you know, to move on, I want to talk about the NBA top 25 under 25. The first player I want to hit on, I want to hit it hard and go straight into the guy that we both agree was disrespected with these rankings. I know ESPN based it off potential, but even when I talk about guys' potential, you have to look at current performance. And obviously, this player that we're gonna hit on, I'm gonna is Trey Young. He's 16th as the best, you know, the 16th best player who's under 25. When I look at potential, I have to look at which what have you done for me so far that I can weigh your potential to be something great. And Trey Young has been Steph Curry-esque. He hasn't been Steph Curry, but even when you look at how great Steph Curry is, first ballot Hall of Famer, he didn't have it figured out his first few years. Like when you look at Trey Young's first three to four years, it's been better than what we've seen from Steph Curry. And now look at Steph Curry. Like he's matching kind of, he's on the trend of being Steph Curry's now. Like what we see from him the past few years, his dynasty years with Golden State. So... Do you agree with me that I look at all the guys who kind of there's a few guys who got shafted? Is Trey Young not the guy who was the biggest? You know, like he he his position at 16 was the biggest shaft in the 25 under 25 on ESPN. No, absolutely. That that's ridiculous. And the, his historic numbers, he gets 30 and 10 like on a regular, like more than any player in the league. Um, the biggest criticism that you can say is oh team success. This is under 25. When you're under 25, your team success normally isn't the best. That's when you're establishing yourself in the NBA. That's when you're in a pretty bad situation. That's why you got drafted there. Um, And you also, and let's talk about team success, because people that are higher on that list are not having the most success on their team compared to what he's doing this year. They're the fourth seed Mm -hmm. in the East. So you've been wanting him to win. You've been wanting the Hawks to do better. They're the fourth seed in the East. He's putting up. He wasn't even an all-star this year. He was not even an all-star this year. Mm-hmm. And I think what he was like, I think he's averaging like 28 and nine or 28 and eight, something crazy. So he's putting up all-star like numbers and his team is winning. I, I just, I don't know what more they want from him at such an early age to not get the credit that he's due. And I, it's just going to take a playoff run to wake people up is what it's probably going to take. Because I think most people who, if I'm perhaps a devil's advocate for people who are critical of him, it would say, okay, I've seen these numbers before. Because with the NBA's inflation of offense, people putting up crazy numbers, like Devin Booker scored 70, like you're having people averaging 35. Okay, yeah, crazy numbers, but where, where is he come postseason? So I think it's going to take this year where you'll finally have the opportunity to find that, okay, yeah, he, he shouldn't have been 16. And that's the only thing I could really wrap my head around is why he would fall that low. And even then, he should not have been 16. 
Yeah, and I think the biggest problem is we think about the guys who we see more often on TV, um, and we forget about some of the guys because right. not everybody's fully invested in the NBA. Like guys like you, like me, like where we watch the game for what it is. We're excited to see. We know the young talent coming in. We love to just watch basketball and we digest basketball. But some people watch it and don't digest it. You you see what two games are on TNT that night. You see what two games are on ESPN. Outside of that, you know, each night there's about four to maybe six teams when you're able to watch your locally televised game that you're able to see on a nightly basis. So when you haven't seen a team such as the Atlanta Hawks, who now have made like a national stage fourth in the Eastern Conference, next year they'll reap the benefits for being so good. Even if they have a first-round exit, they'll reap right. the benefits for being the fourth or fifth best seed you know, in the Eastern Conference, and they'll get more nationally televised game. And now we'll see, you know, man, the Hawks are put on notice. You'll get to see the progression of Cam Reddish, Trey Young, DeAndre Hunter, John Collins. You'll get to see that young core that they have, and the expectations will kind of grow because you see them on a more consistent basis, so the stakes get higher. I think Trey Young, I think my biggest thing is he fell victim to Atlanta hasn't been a nationally televised game. They haven't been a team who has been like sexy to watch outside of Trey Young. People don't see the progression of a Cam Reddish, DeAndre Hunter. Even, you know, we were talking about the, you know, we go to the trade deadline and like a, a name like Cam Reddish popped up, you know, that he could be traded. And a name like John Collins obviously was one of the bigger names at the trade deadline that was a possibility. But a lot of people didn't see the true value with players from Atlanta because they're like, their thought process is, Man, I don't see their highlights often from ESPN, and I don't get to see mm -hmm. them on ESPN or TNT much often. And they don't have really all-star players to put the Atlanta Hawks on notice. I think Trey Young should have made an all-star game because I think when we weigh all-stars, I think it should be based on individual talent. I don't think win and loss record mm. should weigh on who makes the all-star game because it's all about individual talent. It's all about who are we most excited to see. When we we vote the starting five, it's fan favorites. So that I do think Trey Young should have got in. You look at his numbers, you look at his performance. He should be a fan favorite at this point. He came in the same draft as Luka Doncic. Obviously, they kind of pretty much got swapped for each other. Luka has been really good, but like look at Atlanta, they've been like flying under the radar and they're fourth in the Eastern Conference, like you said. If they were fourth in the Western Conference, they would get a lot of love, and Luka gets a lot more love. Then Trey Young, and he's seventh in his respective conference, but Trey Young is fourth in his, and they look like they have a very, watching the Atlanta Hawks, I see a very promising future. I see if they could keep that core together. I see a finals appearance in the next few years when I look at the exit of some of these players. Absolutely. I look at a LeBron, a Kevin Durant, a James Hardner getting older, and I look at the, the progress of a Cam Reddish, a Trey Young, DeAndre Hunter, John Collins, and the appeal of the city of Atlanta. I do think they have some appeal for free agents when you talk about that young stars. Yeah. And then Atlanta is, you know, when we talk about the culture and we talk about, like, the rap game and NBA, I think those cultures mesh. Obviously, a lot of rappers come, you know, from Atlanta. A lot of guys make their careers in Atlanta. So why would it not be a good free agent destination when we talk about kind of like a party city and we talk about mixing and matching the cultures of the rap game and the NBA game together, they fit hand in hand. So I do think that Trey Young's not getting a lot of love. I think my biggest problem, what I want to touch on, is the fact that LaMelo Ball was third.
Yeah. And Trey Young was 16. I think that was the biggest problem I had. There were a couple other players that were disrespected, but LaMelo Ball was third. I get ESPN tried to justify with one word, and the word was potential. Do I think LaMelo Ball has potential through the roof? Do I think he could be a superstar in this league and one of the best players in the league in five, six, seven years? 100%. But I can't weigh everything you did in a sample of 20-something games and you have no more... You know, you have no more sample size through the rest of the season because he broke his wrist. I can't put him at third behind Luka and Zion. So where would you, you know, what do you think about LaMelo Ball being third ahead of some of these guys who have proven sample sizes that they should get a little more respect? Right. Um, you nailed that Atlanta take, by the way. I couldn't agree more with the with the culture, the rap game, free agent destination, going to the finals. I agree with everything you said. Uh, LaMelo... I always said, like, the Bluetooth quality can connect and elevate everybody, connect any device, any player. I -hmm. think, like you said, the potential is obviously the key word, being 6'7", having that type of vision. When you look at the game in three ways, I always break it down like this. Whenever I, like, question something or I don't understand something, I want to know more. I'm like, okay, analytics, and what are the numbers saying? Okay, the numbers are saying he clearly makes his team better. He goes for the Hornets. Um, Look at the numbers he's put up. Check. All right, let's look at the eye test. He passes the eye test with flying colors. He has that flair. He has that it. And it's like something that you can't describe. It doesn't show up in a stat sheet, but he's a culture changer. Like, he goes to Charlotte, which had no buzz, like Buzz City, no pun intended. But, like, when I went to cover Charlotte um, last season, I drove to North Carolina to have some family there, and I covered a Charlotte game. Like, there's just no life in the building. That's no disrespect to the franchise. There was no life. Like, you just didn't know what was going on. There's no identity. What's the direction? And all of a sudden, he steps in the building, and it's like, oh, we have that. And it's like, mm-hmm. that's just, you can't put a price on that. And then you look at the history of the game, and that's the three ways I look at it. And the history of the game, we're starting to see more frequently players in that first year, that second year you mentioned Trey Young, to actually be very effective very early. We're starting to see that a little bit more than we used to. Um, so I get the the projection. Like, I get being high on him. But to your point, the sample size is, what, 20-something games, 30-something games? And he got injured. Mm-hmm. And if you so, let's do the eye test. Let's do the stats test. Trey Young is averaging more points. Trey Young is averaging more assists. Trey Young is fourth in the East, and he's still playing. What more do you need? So he should not be three. I think he should be. I understand top ten. Like I understand fifteen. Okay, cool. I, I get it. But to just put him over people who are playing right now, who are putting up the same exact numbers, ah, uh, yeah, that, that that was too high. And I get it. It's a business and LaMelo sells like Zion, LaMelo, the Luca, like that sells. And so he's going mm-hmm. to be a face, but it's like, he just hasn't reached that pinnacle yet. He will. He's just not there this season. It's his first year. Yeah. 100%. And so to, you know, my last point, as far as the NBA tw- top 25 under 25, my biggest thing is like, I feel like I could take their use of the word potential and use it against them Because first off, my next biggest problem, probably maybe the biggest problem, but my next biggest problem outside of the disrespect of what Trey Young has done for the Atlanta Hawks is the fact I look at 6, 7, and 8. De'Aaron Fox is 6. Ben Simmons is 7. Devin Booker is 8. My biggest problem with that is if we use the word potential, outside of maybe Luka and Zion, how would Ben Simmons potentially not be the best player on this list, the second or even third, 
because you look at if if we're talking about if guys reach their maximum potential, what would they be? You look at how great Ben Simmons has been up to this point. Defensive player of the year argument right now this year. He does it all. He can score. He can pass. He can rebound. He's a six foot nine point guard. But then we look at what he's missing. And we look at when we talk about Ben Simmons, he's missing a jump shot. If right. Ben Simmons gets a three point <laughs> shot, if he could give me 38, 39% on four to five attempts per season, we talking about Ben Simmons arguably being one of the best players in the league this year. If he could give me that kind of production this year where he's shooting just 38, 39%, we don't need him shooting in the Steph Curry, Clay Thompson range of, you know, the, the mid to upper 40s. We don't need that kind of production. But if he could give me four to five attempts a game and he's shooting 37 to 38%, we're talking about Ben Simmons could potentially be the next LeBron James. And I won't say that he'll be as great because the greatness that LeBron James has attained is going to be tough for any young player to say, I can copy that. I can mock that and get there. But for so for Ben Simmons to be so low, I have a problem when you use, you use the word potential. But then I have a problem with Devin Booker being behind a guy like De'Aaron Fox or Ben Simmons because I think Ben Simmons with his potential is through the roof. And I think Ben Simmons could be the best player in the league for a long time. But then I look at the De'Aaron Fox being ahead of Devin Booker. And I feel like up to this point, Devin Booker has kind of done more damage to the league except playoff wins, but neither has De'Aaron Fox. So what do you think about that take as far as six, seven, and eight? And I think two of those guys should be higher and one of those guys should be a little bit lower. That is a fantastic point. But I think, if I had like to guess what their reasoning would be, it's like if you had a bar full of potential, and I feel like the later you play in your career, the more seasons you have, the bar gets less and less. Mm-hmm. And it's like Lamelo's bar is just at full capacity because we've only seen twenty games. Ben Simmons right. is what his when did he leave LSU? I don't know. I think this is his third year because you know he missed one year. Yeah, it's third or fourth. Yeah, oh, that's true. Third that's or true. fourth. Third or fourth year. And so I feel like his potential, his bar has kind of been capped because it's like, okay, if he Mm -hmm. hasn't developed a jump shot in year three or four, is his potential really even there to develop one? Meanwhile, LaMelo is like, look, he's in year one. Anything can happen. He can put on 30 pounds. He can put on 40 pounds. So I think that's the only reason why his potential was probably valued higher than Ben's. But to use your argument, if he were – to develop a jump shot, it's like Giannis developing a jump shot, but he has better vision than Giannis. He has better handles than Giannis. He's a more natural, fluid basketball player than Giannis. Mm-hmm. And it's like, he had, if he were to get that attribute, if, like if it was 2K and you could raise that, he has the most potential by far, mm-hmm. by far. But I think because of, like I said, his years in the NBA already, that's probably why they did that. And what do you think about like Devin Booker because not only do I max, like, if I was to maximize everybody's potential, I see what their game is now, and I pick their most, their their biggest flaws, and I enhance that a little bit enough to be, like, average or a little above average. I think Ben Simmons exceeds everybody, including Luka, because we see what Luka does. But then I look at Devin Booker, and we're talking about a guy who's dropped 70 points in an NBA game. We're talking about a guy who, he's done it all under the sun except for win a playoff series. So what do you think about like a De'Aaron Fox, who's kind of the same thing we see as progression? He's playing really good basketball, but a guy like De'Aaron Fox is sixth. 
He's like in the ballpark of a Donovan Mitchell, you know, LaMelo ball. Like when we look at like two through six, those guys are pretty close. But I think De'Aaron Fox is the farthest. And I think Ben Simmons and Devin Booker should be ahead. So what do you think about the, the disrespect towards Devin Booker? Why is he not getting kind of the respect that he deserves up to this point and what he's done for the league? Right. Um, well, De'Aaron Fox, I've said him and Colin Sexton don't get enough love. And so I, I'm mm-hmm. glad he's getting love, but he doesn't have more potential than D-Book. But the thing about D-Book that I'm really intrigued to see is what he does in the postseason because he'll finally have that opportunity. Because crit, like people, I've, I've seen a couple of people say, is he an MVP candidate? In my opinion, and respectfully, I say absolutely not. And I don't mean to be a hater because I love his game and I'm not – questioning his talent but chris paul is the most valuable on the team because wherever mm-hmm. he goes i mean that's why i said why when he connects it's a stronger signal like what he did um well that way back one of the hornets and what happens when he left now they're um yeah yeah they're, they're still the hornets yeah yeah the hornets and then when he mm-hmm. went to the clippers what they became and then when he left no one expected him to do what he did with okay uh with the, well, the rockets he made them better seven game series with uh, Golden State, but he got injured. They arguably could have won that. Then he goes yep. OKC. Nobody expected them to do anything, and he goes to the playoffs and against James Harden. The Rockets goes to a seven-game series, which arguably they should have won. And now he goes to the Suns, who didn't make the playoffs, and that was a number two seed. Mm-hmm. So Chris Paul's been the most valuable for me. So when it comes to D Book, I'm like, okay, he's putting up these stats, but it isn't translating to value. And mm-hmm. I think that's pro- I'm probably in the minority when I say that. A lot of people probably don't agree with me, but if he can translate what he does in the postseason, then I'm like, okay, like yeah, like yeah, we need to start talking about this guy. I'm not saying we shouldn't talk about him now because he is highly disrespected. Like what he's able to do and the way he's able to score, it's like I'm not saying he's Kobe, but like Kobe was an artist. Like you had no idea what he was gonna do when he goes down there. He could pull up left, right hand. He can he can dunk, he can lay it up, he can cross you over, he can do whatever you want. And with D Book, when he comes down the floor, it's like he can score on you in any possible way. So mm-hmm. he'll take it to the rim, uh, he'll he'll step back, he'll pull up. So I love him, I love his game, but I really want to see what he does in the postseason. And then when when it happens, we can come back to this and be like, you know what, you're right. You got it. Yeah, and I think you know, you brought up I think we pretty much have the same view. You brought up the biggest point. And that's a conversation for another day, but I do want to outline that most valuable player. I think, you know, when we guys like you and me look at most valuable player, our MVPs will be different than the guys who win. Yeah. <laughs> because value, I take, you know, the V in MVP is the most important. And who literally has the most value? And you have to look at the team, you have to look at the roster, you have to look at the 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 organization. And be like, what were they before they got there? And what are they when they got there? And so I think two of the most valuable players in the league for the longest time have been LeBron James and Chris Paul. The numbers, you know, speak for itself. When LeBron gets to an organization, they were a losing organization before he got there. And they were a championship organization when he got there. Chris Paul, now granted, he hasn't turned that value into championships. Right. But I think he's kind of fell victim to dynasties. You look at Golden State. You look at his tenure in, in, with the Clippers, and you look at his tenure with the Rockets, the, you know, the year he was with the Rockets. He fell victim to the Golden State Warriors. And then you look at with OKC, he goes to OKC. A lot of us expected him to ask out, you know, opt out, trade, buy out, 
Chris Paul's name was there for, you know, the, the trade market, the, the buyout market after the trade deadline was over. And he thugged it out and just basically played basketball. And they had, what, less than a 3% chance to make the playoffs? Not only do they do that, but they do that and make it as a fifth seed or fourth seed in the Western Conference. Go seven games with the James Harden Houston Rockets. That's true value. Another guy that I think, especially when we talk about this year, I think Jimmy Butler, when we talk about just true value to a team, I think Jimmy Butler is up there. Will he win an MVP? No, he's not, you know, a top five to seven player. He's not the sexy name. The Miami Heat, even though their Heat culture is like second to none in a lot of NBA analysts' eyes, they're not going to be the, you know, an MVP outside of LeBron James. This isn't going to win MVP, you know, being in a Miami Heat jersey. But when we talk about true value, I got to look at what they were without him, what they are with him. And I look at the Miami Heat. When COVID and Jimmy Butler, when COVID hit the team and Jimmy Butler was missing due to COVID, bad mm-hmm. team. They were terrible. He comes back. They started winning games. He got injured again. Uh, I think the COVID bug hit him once again. He comes back. You know, they were losing games. He comes back. Now look at him. They look like a competent. You know, they look like they're back to their regular selves. As long as Jimmy Butler's in the lineup, they have a chance to beat anybody on a night-to-night basis. I don't know if it holds the same weight in a seven-game series. We'll have to see come playoff time because I think the Miami Heat were a beneficiary of the bubble. And I'm a huge Heat fan, so to say that, I just, I think because of the bubble, I think they benefited the most from it. I look at the Lakers, I had them winning the championship bubble or no bubble, you know, before we even seen the NBA season cancel. I had the Lakers win the championship. I just, you can't bet against the King and bet against LeBron, but I think the Miami Heat getting there, I had them beating Milwaukee pre-bubble, and wow. obviously they proved me right in the bubble. I, I you know, on... Numerous shows. I had Miami beating Milwaukee. I looked at the regular season matchup. I just felt like they were the, they had the keys to beat Milwaukee, but I didn't have them going to the NBA Finals. I thought, you know, if they see Milwaukee in the second round, they could reach the Easter Conference Finals. I just didn't know if they had the tools to get it done. I think they benefited being such a bad away team last year. I think they benefited from not having to travel, not having to play in front of a sellout crowd against Boston in the Garden. I think they were right. the biggest beneficiary from that but i think you know you and me both have the same like when we talk about most valuable player i think if we could pick we'd probably agree on the top three candidates of most valuable player as opposed to because it's never the best player in the league it's usually the best player on the best team that's typically how mvp look goes but you know i want to hit on the last topic and you know last time you got on my show we actually talked nba draft so, you know, pre-draft. So I feel like it's it's only right to kind of go pre-draft, but look ahead. And I want to talk with you about the draft stock risers after the NCAA tournament. Obviously, the NCAA tournament is over. The Baylor Bears won the national championship. Shout out to Baylor. I think that was a yeah. very unexpected national championship run. I think, you know, actually, I can't say unexpected because I listened to a guy that that mentors you and Rashad Phillips, and he actually predicted this national championship before the (laughs) tournament started. But I think, you know, Gonzaga was the overwhelming favorite coming into the tournament. I think a lot of people had, you know, there were some people who had these two teams beating, but I think the majority went with Gonzaga. I think there were a couple of draft stock risers in my eyes. You know, Davion Mitchell is the main name that comes to mind. But I want to get with kind of the guy who dives deep into the draft, 
who stock has risen? I know you've paid attention to this situation closely because this is going to get into the rest of your content coming up soon. So whose stock has risen in your eyes immensely after the NCAA tournament? Um, I'll say this. Now, I don't know if this is possible, but I'm going to double down on this. So, like, I was already as high as you possibly be on this guy. And so, like, it's not like it really had to rise because it didn't have to rise. Mm -hmm. But I'm just going to double down on it. It just reassured me what I already was feeling is Kate Cunningham is the clear number one for me. Like, he, he has that that it. Like, he just – I would feel confident as an organization picking him as the number one guy. And it's not even just about – what he's able to do. It's about how he carries himself. Like I was just always impressed. He was never really rattled, very like mm -hmm. calm and composed. I'm like, I like this guy. And he has that dog in him. He has that fight in him. He welcomes the challenge. He's not scared to take the big shot. Um, he can do a little bit of everything as um, my guy, Shaw would say a dual forward reminded of, uh, reminded him of Grant Hill. Like I get those type of vibes. Okay. He my mm -hmm. guy. Um, Jason Preston, he would stand out to me. I, uh, God, I always reference Shad because I talk so much draft with him and I see his material, but I was really high on Tyrese Halliburton last draft. And I said, him and LaMelo are like my two guys. And mm -hmm. I said, and obviously we see what Tyrese Halliburton's doing. He said he reminded him a little, like Jason Preston reminds him of Tyrese Halliburton a little bit. And I'm like, wow, I see that. Like it was a little bit of, um, a little bit of like a tall playmaking guard. And the other guy, Mobley's nasty. There's two other guys that I really wanted to bring up. And it's not like I'm, breaking news here, these guys are good, is uh, Evan Mobley's, yeah, Evan Mobley's good. Jalen Green, obviously, wasn't in the tournament. I think he's going to be a guy. I think he's going to be that guy. Like, he averaged 18 mm -hmm. in the G League. But we don't talk about it because the G League doesn't have the platform that right. the tournament has. So you're not going to just turn on G League when you have March Madness going on. Mm -hmm. But he averaged 18 in the G League against guys who are fighting for their position. Like, this is what they need to do to eat. Like, this is their money. This is their... And he averaged 18, like, right away. But I think that's going to be a problem because the NBA game fits exactly what he needs to do. Um, and then Scotty Barnes from FSU. I think Scotty Barnes can be really nasty. He has a lot of versatility, explosive length. I love what FSU is doing, breeding NBA players. Like, we've seen their players succeed in the NBA. Um, mm -hmm. So Scotty Barnes would be my guy. Yeah, I think for me the biggest – and, it, you know, kind of I learn from guys like you as far as NBA draft prospects. I pay attention and y'all, you know, you and obviously Rashad and then guys like my guys like Chris and Steven who yeah. really dive deep into the NBA draft and college basketball. I love college basketball. I love watching it. But I don't digest college basketball the same way you guys do because the draft, the NBA draft time is when y'all get really big into diving into talent. And I don't think I'm as great as a talent evaluator but i think y'all bring attention to me guys i should be paying attention to i've seen a lot of you and rashad talking about jason preston and then that kind of sold me on you know even picking my bracket i had like ohio yeah. going to the sweet 16 i contemplated them going to the elite eight and it was because of the, the one guy that i was looking at you and like rashad kind of you know breaking down and bringing a lot of attention to but for me is davion mitchell and yeah. the reason I say that is because whatever his stock was coming into the season, Bro. to me it had to have risen in a lot of guys' eyes. And there might be guys like you who are great evaluators of talent and already had him up there. But I look at some of the, the normal guys like me who just watch college basketball for what it is, know the common names, and then you dive deep into these guys when they catch your attention. He caught my attention in the tournament. And then you have to look at the fact that, 
that on the national stage, the national championship, he didn't fold. He played great basketball. He made a name for himself because that's when guys do it. On the tournament, the biggest stage, obviously the NCAA tournament is one of the biggest postseason things in Dude. sports, period. Like, I don't did care he, whether we talk. Did he give talk. you Donovan Mitchell vibes? Yes, and it's crazy because, like, you hear the last Mitchell and you think that they're related, yeah. but they're actually yeah. not. But he does give me Donovan Mitchell vibes. And then when I look at who Donovan (laughs) Mitchell gave me vibes of, it was Dwayne Wade. Like, I don't think he will necessarily, when I say guys remind me of these guys, I don't put them at, they're going to match their greatness. Because certain people hit greatness, and it might not be matched. But I think Donovan Mitchell is very similar to Dwayne Wade. Dwayne Wade is my favorite player of all time. So for me to say that, I feel like I'm giving Donovan Mitchell his flowers. But then I look at Davion Mm -hmm. Mitchell, and he reminds me a lot of, Donovan Mitchell, but I don't know if he's like the Dwayne Wade-esque player, but I do think he's like the Donovan Mitchell-type player. You look at his athleticism, yeah. and the one thing he showed on the national championship stage, he got that dog in him. And that's the most important thing is like when we look at some of the greatest players of all time, we look at that what we would now consider some of us, you know, guys my age, the Mamba mentality, the go-after-it-every-play. And you look at like guys like in the NBA right now, obviously, you know, Kobe, you know, he created the Mamba mentality. But then you look at guys like Russell Westbrook. They have that Mamba mentality. It's 110% for every minute that they're on the floor. You're not going to see a lack of minutes, whether their, you know, performance matches their hustle isn't the case because you know they're going to give it 110% every minute, every second that they're on the floor. I think Donovan Mitchell, I mean, Davion Mitchell, I think he gives me those same vibes as like, you know, forget what everybody says about me. I'm going to give you the best I can give. And some nights, you know, like you said, you go to work. Some days are better than others. Even your 110% every day doesn't mean you give 100% quality every day. I'm going to give you the best and then some that I could give you each day. But one day you might wake up a little more tired. One day you might wake up just not feeling it. But you know, like, man, with that mentality, I got to give you the best I could give you that day. And I get that vibe from him. And so to see his performance in the national championship, he came out hot when he scored the first eight points for Baylor. You know, he put the rest of the world on notice eight points into the national championship game. Like, it's crazy that in the first two and a half to three minutes, eight points of the game, Davion Mitchell made a name for himself. And now people who weren't so woke on him will go back and look at his tape and be like, man, how did I not know about him before the national championship? So do you think, like, do you agree with me that Davion Mitchell's stock has to have risen after his performance in the national championship yeah absolutely i agree with everything you just said and i'm so happy you brought it up it's the mentality it's like gonzaga was being referred to as one of the best college teams ever their offense was just ridiculous and i'm not saying like i disagreed because i did i had gonzaga winning it like i'll call it like i'll call how i see I, i was wrong but you took that team and you put them against a team with dog mentality led by Mitchell, and that's what won them the game. Like, they were in their face, getting mm-hmm. physical, wanted it more, going after every loose ball, talking trash, pulling up, having confidence, and it's that dog mentality who set the tone out the gate with that early lead, and right out the right out the gate you saw Gonzaga's like, whoa, like, yeah, we, we, we're, not, we're not used to this. Like, they just got hit in the mouth, and they never recovered. And it's that mentality that he led with. And so when you have a player that has that, it's like, oh, can his jump shot get a little bit better? Yeah, pro- yeah, probably. And, I mean, that's really normal when you look at a young player. 
And it's like, oh, can his handles get a little bit? Can his vision get a little bit better? Yeah. Can his body get a little bit bigger? Yeah. But that mentality is not really something that you can teach. Like it's something that you have mm-hmm. in you, and he has that. And so I 100% agree. We think a lot alike, man. Yeah, 100%. I'm starting to catch that vibe. You know, second show getting on with you. But, you know, bro, you know, I want to close it out with that. Basically, you know, your kind of final takes on Davion Mitchell. And, you know, draft stock rises on NCAA tournament. So before we go, obviously, bro, I let you, you know, kind of lead into the show with the floor is yours. Kind of what you do. So now I want to exit and kind of where everybody who's been watching and who will listen to the audio version, if you didn't watch the live, where they can follow you and check out some of your future work. Right. I try to make it as simple as possible so you can find me on Instagram, Twitter. It's literally just my name. So Max Van Auken, that's V-A-N space A-U-K-E-N. I know it's a unique last name. It's also my podcast. It's also my YouTube channel, Max Van Auken. MVP is supposed to be the initials, M Van Auken, and the P podcast. Um, Tomorrow at 2.30, the podcast will be released with Coach Jennings, who's uh, the coach of the number one high school team in the country, Mount Verde Academy, and her uh, ball club, Women's Basketball. And just wanted to give her her flowers, her team her flowers, and what she's been able to do and accomplish. So if you're a basketball fan, I know not everyone's necessarily in the high school hoops or you like college hoops or you like NBA, but if you just like basketball, you'll love this conversation. We kind of go a little over the all over the place with NBA talent. What do you look for? Um, she played for Xavier, so she obviously came from a, play, a player's background. Um, and we got her in the coaching. So it's more than just that. It, it's it's an amazing podcast. I learned so much. And it's she's doing such an amazing job there. So that's coming out tomorrow. It's on any podcast platform, wherever you get it. It's on YouTube. And I'll, of course, be posting clips on my uh, social media and stuff. But I appreciate it, man. I really do. Thank you. Your show's been, like I said, I always watch your work. You're always, um, you, every, every once in a while, I have to slow people down at their media personalities. Because, like, we're always giving people their flowers. I feel like we need to give each other flowers sometimes. And like, you're always like, man, I love your work. And hey, you're doing great work. Like what you're doing and what you're pursuing every day is definitely something that I, I tip my hat off to you. And I, I appreciate what you're doing. You you motivate me just as much as you think I motivate you. You It's right back. So I appreciate what you're doing and what you're continuing to grow. It's special. And uh, I really appreciate you letting me come back on. Yeah, 100%, bro. And you know, you're always more than welcome. Like, bro, I love talking hoops. You know, obviously, for those who have watched and tuned in before, this is our second time linking, and it's like, as long as both of us have been in the game, it's kind of crazy that this is only twice that we've linked up. But, you know, I definitely get with you closer to the draft just because, you know, I know that's where you dive in. That's where basically this time last year, you know, diving into the draft is where you kind of like caught interest of like, man, I got to get with this guy and and kind of, you know, dive into his head and his mentality because I've never been big, you know, one guy to dive deep into the NBA draft. Why? Because I know the common names and outside of that, I love basketball. I dive deep into basketball, but like the draft has never been my strong suit just because I feel like I digress and give the flowers to people who, you know, dive deep into talent evaluators. I see guys, they balling on and off, but I've also seen guys who I thought were going to be great and be bust. I've seen guys who I thought were going to be bust and be great. So I feel like talent evaluation isn't my strong suit, but I love to get with guys who that is their strong suit. So you guys know, as you can follow me at Up in Flames Pod, Twitter, Instagram, Mo underscore Cheese 15. You know, if you missed the live in the next couple days, the audio version will drop. I appreciate everybody for tuning in or the future who will tune in. Max, I appreciate you for coming on the show. And, you know, on that note, Up in Flames is...